to the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people all over the nation, leading creative, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. And we talk with people about why they have decided to create new and transforming ministries, especially during times such as these. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast where ministers, writers, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. In episode two called Socio-Political Theater, say what? Marta and Mandy talk with Jen Stiles-Williams and Steve McKinnon, who are ministry partners at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando, Florida. Using the first chapter of Who Will Be a Witness?, as guide, they explore socio-political theater in both the time of Jesus and in our current day. We're invited to consider how we can weaponize empathy as we join in God's plan for justice, love, and deliverance. Welcome, I'm Marta Fioriti, and I'm the pastor of Black Forest Community Church. And I am Mandy Todd, Director of Worship and Arts here at Black Forest Community Church. We are really excited because we are going to be joined in just a little bit by Reverend Jen Stiles-Williams and her ministry partner, Steve McKennan. They are from St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando, Florida. They are at the heart of the performing arts world in Orlando with um, Universal Studios and Disney World and SeaWorld. They're and SeaWorld, the, the trifecta. And they are going to be joining us in just a little bit to talk to us about how their theater ministry in um, at St. Luke's in Orlando is changing hearts and minds and doing really, really powerful things in their little corner of the world. I know Jen because she and I are both Doctor of Ministry in Public Theology students at Drew University in New Jersey. So we're all spread out, but making these really cool, close connections. So we'll be joined by Jen and Steve in just a few minutes. But before we do that, um, let's hear our scripture text today. This comes from Mark 11, verses 11 through 14. This story actually comes immediately following the Palm Sunday story, which we will also talk about with Jen and Steve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Our ritual today is going to include a piece of fruit, um, or it could be some dried figs mm -hmm. if you have those in your pantry. But we want you to pause right now and go and get your piece of fruit. It can be an apple or a bowl of grapes. Um, and save that until the end. And there'll be a couple of reminders along the way because we want you to be a part of this 
fruit communion. get started with this um, entire interview with Jen and Steve, Mandy and I just wanted to take a little bit um, to talk about the first chapter of Who Will Be a Witness um, by Drew Hart. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about the introduction, and this week, we are going to talk about the first chapter. And what I love um, about this first chapter that I sort of want to just start off with is the title of it is Trouble Won't Last Always. And I want to just stick with that for a minute because I think it provides just a little glimmer of hope and what I think for some people in this time and space and in this uh, culture in the US right now just seems a little bit hopeless at times. Um, we're in the midst of this global pandemic, um, which because of that sort of umbrella and that big, huge uh, cloud that's over us, um, these other things have really bubbled up acutely around racial justice and the gap between the rich and the poor. And then this, and I will say this tricky election that's coming up. Um, that was sort of a nice word to describe it. That's coming up this November. Um, but I think trouble won't last always is that little glimmer of hope. Um, this chapter uh, was full of a lot of symbolism and imagery. And I think most of us know that Jesus was really awesome at that, of painting these really beautiful pictures for us um, to teach us lessons about life. But specifically, Drew goes into that symbolism and that imagery in this chapter, and especially around the Palm Sunday story. Um, and just to give everybody a little bit of sort of orientation to this, the fig tree scripture comes directly after um, Jesus parades into Jerusalem. Um, and so I wanted to start off with that moment when he gets on a small colt instead of this big, dramatic, beautiful horse, he gets on a small colt, which um, is is a symbol that Jesus is trying to get across to us. That's one of many. Also, um, the chopping down the um, palm branches off of the trees and laying them down. Um, we know that palms are often used um, as signs of peace and justice. And then to cut them off the tree is this sort of symbol of breaking away from the status quo and captivity. Um, and so those two things, I just want you to hold on to in your mind. Um, the, the language that Drew uses, which I, I love is socio-political theater. And those imageries and those um, symbols tie into that idea of socio-political socio theater in that Jesus was using those things to strategize in order to get his people moving. Um, so, and get them organized. Um, and that's partly why we brought Jen and Steve on today. Um, Mandy and I are in this book club with Drew Hart and like a hundred plus people from around so the globe. People. 
there are so many people on it and they're like coming on like at one o'clock in the morning at three o'clock in the morning because some of them are all the way in Australia or in Asia. It's quite remarkable actually. And, um, and they come on each week, which I always like go to check, like are there really this many people on each week? And there are, it's like really quite kind of incredible. And so anyway, they take us on zoom and they take us and they put us into small groups. And so a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing this chapter, I was in a small group with um, this young woman from Oakland, California. And one of the things that she said about this chapter is that um, you've got to do a code switch. You've got to not read this chapter of the book and even the Palm Sunday story with white Jesus in mind. You've got to read it um, through the lens of black Jesus. And all of a sudden I like it kind of like broke open for me. It like broke open the captivity, right? And um, when I was thinking about that piece of it, I was thinking of like, how can we look at this a little bit differently and about Jesus being not, what our American Western culture holds up as like really awesome leadership, which is usually a young, attractive Jesus and jeans type of white male. But we think about this story as a black man who's coming out of the ghetto and trying to liberate his neighborhood. And that is the way we see Jesus coming through Jerusalem on that small, cult. And so he, the language that Drew uses is breaking away from the status quo and captivity um, to sort of give us symbolism. And so anyway, our Palm Sunday last spring, because that's when Palm Sunday is, was virtual. It was a virtual um, service. And instead of asking people to cut down palm trees, that because that is not our context, although it probably is Jen and Steve's funny right. enough, um, <laughs> but it isn't ours in Colorado. Uh, but it's also not really something that is um, a symbol of our 21st century, right? Like that is, we don't use palm branches as a symbol of peace and equality and justice, but what we do use are yard signs, you know, those signs that even for either like um, elections or like just to send a message to people about what your values are and what you hope for in the world, like on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so we asked our people to, instead of waving those palms to wave those yard signs, to put those yard signs up. So I think I like have 10 of them in my yard. No, that, not that much, but actually Mandy probably has like 10 in her yard, um, but I have like three or four. Um, and so that was socio-political theater for us. That's the way we were sending the message across. Um, so that's that's sort of what I got out of out of that first chapter, Mandy. What yeah. were some things that so I think that idea of socio-political theater um is is how Drew connects to this idea of creating the heaven on earth um, vision, right? Which we are all about here at Black Forest, and I'm sure you are at St. Lu Luke's also. Um, Drew describes Jesus as very perceptive and strategic. 
um, and he's he's engineering a particular response from the people at this. Um, like we want to think that Jesus just rode in peacefully to save us from our sins, but it was very strategic. It was he was eliciting emotion, right? And as I know, as a musician. Um, and as an actor, very amateur, like um, that's what we're doing on stage, right? We are we are trying to elicit emotions and responses from our people. So it's this idea of theatric protest that inspired us to invite Jen and Steve to join us today for this conversation, where um, at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando, Florida, they have this incredibly robust and creative theater ministry program. So, um, Jen, Steve, we're going to turn it over to the two of you to tell us more about this ministry that you are doing that is so creative and out of the box and um, theatric protest. Great. Thanks for having us, y'all. It's uh, kind of exciting. Steve and I really like to talk about um, what we're doing with theater because it's pretty different, I think, um, and it's making a difference in our church and our community. But um, my name is Jen Stiles Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at St. Luke's. Um, we are United Methodist Church, and we have been here um, on the corner of the Dr. Phillips area, really in the trifecta, as I call it, of Universal, SeaWorld, and Disney. And so we're really in the theme park hospitality corridor um, of the Orlando area. Um, we're 40 years old as a church. Um, it was really all citrus groves and a very um, upscale community grew up around it that over the last 40 years has actually started to change in terms of economics, in terms of cultural and racial diversity. Um, we had pretty much stayed a bastion of predominantly white. Um, we have a, a, about 4,000 members on our roll. Um, we worship probably 12 to 1500 members on a Sunday back when we had five services on a Sunday. Um, and, and now we're, who knows, because we're still online. We actually go back next week. Um, but we made a, a conscious decision 10 years ago that we wanted to reflect the Central Florida community. So we're a church that's really been intentional about becoming multiracial, multicultural, and multiethnic. We're still on our journey for that. Um, and it's a, it's a journey that is a long journey, as we all know. Um, but that's a little bit about us. Um, and then this is Steve McKinnon, who is our contemporary music and theater director. And I'll let him tell you a little about him himself. Great, thanks. So yeah, um, thanks, Jen. I am privileged to work at St. Luke's uh, full-time doing theater and contemporary worship music. Um, theater was not always a position that we had at church <laughs> or even could understand doing that at church. Um, my background before I got to St. Luke's was, was a, as a professional theater director. I worked for uh, Walt Disney World, Universal, and then all of the professional theaters kind of in Central Florida right now. I still freelance once in a while with, with you know, the Orlando Repertory, the Orlando Shakespeare Theater, you name it. I probably kind of once in a while darken their doorway. Um, so, um, but I also was a music director and that's kind of how uh, doing a show in Orlando, there was a change. Uh, their, their contemporary guy left and asked if I wanted to sub one weekend and I was very dubious and I, <laughs> I tried it and I loved it. And I would have never imagined I would be here now um, doing theater in Orlando for St. Luke's and with St. Luke's and with this community. So yeah, we started, uh, I guess, theater at St. Luke's about nine years ago, was it? Yeah, this would have been our ninth anniversary summer. And um, 
it was just started from, we were doing a lot of out of the box worship things, doing a lot of drama in worship, a lot of crossover um, music styles kind of both from theater and the secular world and creating our worship services to be very theatrical. And our congregation is so diverse in terms of what Jen said being the trifecta of all of these SeaWorld, Disney, Orlando, um, Universal and all of these entertainment professionals, both performers and then people that work up throughout the years to corporate level, um, directors and, and such in these parks, that they have a heart and passion, um, you know, for, for that world. So, and, and longing to be lo loved and, and connected in their community. And that, that was part of something that our impetus to start was, you know, I came from a world that I, I didn't feel accepted and welcome to the church. I was very scared to step foot into St. Luke's because of who I am. And, um, would have never imagined the love and the grace and um, and just family that I would find here. And so knowing that and knowing that community and the damage that's been done by the contemporary church as at large, um, particularly in the states, uh, we we were like, hey, there's a there's a marginalized community here where we live, and I mean across the world, but really in artists that that have um, a lot of damage done. So we wanted to kind of bridge a gap and make a connection and kind of show them uh, what we are, what Jesus is and how we can kind of grow together. And uh, it's, it's grown into a crazy ministry what we're doing now. So that's the overview, I suppose, Jen, if you want to kind of field it from there. Yeah, we, we, you know, you get into churches with performers and entertainers and everyone's like, let's do Godspell. And we're like, Steve and I had a, many years of going no we're not going to do like a church play and do a play just right to, no and and we didn't want it to we wanted to have meaning and so we decided let's let's try this let's make sure that first and foremost that anything that we choose is speaking to our core values so our core values here at st luke's like do they everything we do is based on christ-centered love acceptance hospitality community discipleship and service like everything we do um, and we, we know that those are provocative when you really live into them, when you really live into the radical sociopolitical, and I would say theological drama of Jesus, it, those are radical notions in today's day and age. So we were like, we're going to only going to pick shows that, that fit into those and create a community dialogue. Like, why is a church doing hairspray? That was the first, you know, why is a church doing ragtime? Um, and then allow that community dialogue to be both in the church and outside the church. So let's talk about race inside the church and outside the church as, and let, let really we say every year we tell this cast, which we cast, we purposefully cast um, at least as best we can, you know, 50% St. Lucas, 50% community people. Cause the idea is to bridge the gap and to bring people together. Cause when you're doing art together for 10 weeks, free. I mean, these people come and give their time hours and hours all summer um, and then start to tell them that the script is really a parable that connects with with the gospel story. Um, it bridges this gap and allows people to enter into this Jesus story in a whole new way. That's not just about personal salvation. It's really about community change and um, lifting up the oppressed and, and all those things that you said Palm Sunday was an action of. Um, mm -hmm. um, so we've been doing that and, and it's worked and we didn't expect it to, but it has worked in ways that we didn't expect, which really kind of leads us to what we're at today. 
everything we've done for the last nine years leads us to some amazing stuff that's happened this summer and with all of COVID. And, and Steve, the go ahead. material that we're choosing and that we're producing and that we're getting involved in is all in response to the world we're living in. It's not just right now, right now, mm -hmm. or what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. It's even more than right now. It's what's happening in two months. You know, our project that's coming up is like, we know we're going to be facing this moment in time and there's going to be division mm. and harm mm -hmm. and pain. And so what can we do, you know, to... It's so strategic, just like, you know, we were talking about Jesus, that strategy of what's going to be happening. So Jesus knew what was going to be happening in Jerusalem when he walked in. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't this coincidence, right? You have that intentionality. Yeah. And, and what I love, Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about this story. What I love, uh, what I love about it is, um, you know, like Jen, you had mentioned this idea of toxic charity, I think when we were talking, um, and I know that here at Black Forest Community Church, we um, are doing some of these um, just basic service activities, but like alongside that, we're trying to educate, right? And so I love, um, and to me, you have to be doing both. like you can't one without the other just sort of falls flat. So in, in the same way, I love how you guys are doing it both within the church and you're bridging it very intentionally to the community. Um, because I think that like, can you imagine just doing one or the other? Like none of it would work right in quite the same way. So I, that, that sort of uh, vision is super amazing. So, so we, so we are able to look and go, okay, so before the last election, was it Big River that we chose? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we, and, and it was also the summer of, of there had been in the springtime, um, it was after Trayvon Martin and some other things. So it's like, okay, we need to have this conversation. So we picked a show that the community can enter into and the church people who are often insulated from that can also let down their guard and go, oh, this, this, this is a parable. You know, parables mm -hmm. are not just related to, to, the, to the scriptures. Parables are these living, living things. And what's interesting is no matter when we do it, like even when before the Methodist stuff that happened has been going on with us as a denomination, we knew we wanted to speak about what does it mean to be in a marginalized person that is loved by the community and brings a community together. So we chose Music Man you know, and mm -hmm. we told the story. We used Mary Poppins to tell about grace. And what happens mm. is people from the community who really don't want to step into church, but they, because they know our reputation and they know Steve, they audition. We rehearse, we rehearse, we rehearse. Um, we say at the beginning, you're, everyone is welcome. We're unapologetically Christian, but we also all are absolutely welcome and we are an inclusive and we want you to be a part of our family. But then what we do is like, you know, three or four weeks before tech, we begin to relate the story to them of why we're telling it. And we do devotions and we kind of help characterize, you know, how does this look like interacting with the gospel or our core values or scripture? And then to release a group of people, most of which who haven't stepped in church in a while for, for us to say to them, you are now the pastors for the next three weeks. Mm -hmm. And every time you step up to speak as your character, you, you all are, are offering not just two hours or three hours of entertainment, but it's worship. And you are, you are St. Luke's voice for the community, mm -hmm. I think is a pivotal way to, to 
what Jesus did when he said to the disciples, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to have the power mm -hmm. and you're going to be able to heal. And, and it's that con continual, we can change the world if we continue to share our power because everyone has a voice in this story of God. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that drew constantly over and over and over again is pointing to um, to counter to our Western individualism and that all of this is more um, can be more successful and um, the, the, the good news can be unfolded so much easier when we're doing this together and in community um, and when there is a sense of belonging as a whole. Um, that is just a huge piece of what he teaches and this idea of decolonizing um, is to be doing this deeply rooted in community. So that is, that's really cool. And so what it's led to is I'll let Steve talk about like the, it, the nine years of work has led to just some phenomenal kind of God has gone. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. Let's, let's take you to the next level. And I'll let you, Steve, talk about the ways we're shifting really from theater into even a bigger understanding of that. Yeah, so um, what's been going on is, of course, our visibility throughout the years in, in our community, um, and not just physical community, but the larger Central Florida community has really gone up. We've been, we, we you know, people come from near and far, spread the word to come see the shows and the experience. Um, and that's been, that's, you know, we're very lucky. We get in the newspapers and things. And so that word has spread. But since then, and it's because of all of our relationships and the folks we work with both on stage and off stage, because we work with professionals and people want to come work with us and do our productions and be part of the process. And they want to design for us and all that stuff because of all those relationships and that community that's grown through St. Luke's um, during this time in response to what's going on with the pandemic and just the world stopping <laughs> um, and all of us learning how to be fluid. Um, St. Luke's has, had, has been positioned in, in, in an amazing place to be the hands and feet, um, so to speak, in, in new ways where people would never have that trust in a church or even want to take a chance. Um, so we responded by uh, originally starting hosting uh, food distribution um, for our arts and arts industry on offstage, any professionals and really down here, if you think about Central Florida, Disney calls everyone cast members, right? We are all storytellers, we're all part of that. So anyone that's really been affected by COVID and their families, um, we partnered with a few different nonprofits um, to help provide some back backline support, resources and food. And so we do a sort of drive-through where once a week that's been going on for now since May. Um, and which has been fantastic. And the community has been moved. They come and what we've done is made it more of a celebration mm. and to honor them. And because and, this is a community that's never had to go through. The, these are people that are um, my family, right? And people that they've hustled their whole life to have five jobs and those those opportunities are gone. So what we do is every week we've, we, we bring in performers um, and they're on their own area with microphones and, and they can, with their mask and sing, perform. We've got our stunt performers in the field, aerialists doing, you know, on the lira and the silks um, and people come park their cars and they make a day out of that two hours and they connect with folks they haven't seen in six months. You know, and they sit in their lawn chairs in a large circle outside and they get to finally be in community. And it's nothing to do with coming on a Sunday at church. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's people who aren't St. Saint, Saint Lucas but they're becoming mm -hmm. St. Lucas because they know who we are by what we're doing and where they feel safe and welcome and honored. 
So that that's happened. And then since that's happened, you know, it's always a snowball effect. Um, there's a response of, you know, there's so many nonprofit um, grants and things that go for arts organizations in times of trouble. Um, I, I'm in a few conversations weekly with all the arts leaders in Orlando from the ballet to the Philharmonic to all the professional theaters. Um, and they were like, we need to help our family. We need to help the people. You know, we, we've got that, we've got the government, we can figure out like all the organizations can figure out their nonprofit world, but it's the actual people who come work for free or come work for a small stipend for five weeks. These actors and these designers who you can't live off of that. How are we going to help our community? And a lot of back and forth. And I was like, well, St. Luke's can do that. We've got a lot of history developing nonprofits. And, and um, so we are now, we've developed a, it's a resource advocacy group called GOPAR, Greater Orlando Performing Arts Relief. And it, it's not just for this moment. Hopefully the idea is that it's for any moment in crisis if people lose a contract, if they move and you know if they lose a job. And yes, right now in response to what's happening. So all of the arts organizations are, are becoming members. And when I say all, I mean all. We've had a, a webathon and like a three hour webathon where, where all the arts orgs participated. It was online content and making asks just to raise funds um, and not just to give people handouts at all. It's actually what we at St. Luke's do um, to make sure it's not a toxic charity and to walk alongside folks and stay alongside folks um, to provide resource adv advocacy, whether it be for healthcare. Um, one of our nonprofits called Shepherd's Hope for people without healthcare, we can help them. Um, you know, in insurance, we can we can walk with them and provide that backline or mental health. We've got a counseling center, um, and then yes, if we need to cross the bridge into utilities assistance and and food, we can do that as well. So right now we're in the moment of really building up those resources and collecting and, and approaching our cor corporate world down here from Disney and everything because we want everyone to be bought in because these people are affected. So that's under St. Luke's umbrella, but the leaders and everyone who's, who's been meeting about that is all of our arts organizations in town. So it's crazy what the theater program has led to with all our relationships, mm. this huge tree now. And if you talk to theater people, they don't like churches, most, <laughs> most of them, you know, and they're very dubious. So the fact that that trust and everyone, you know, we've got testimony beyond belief that people are like, no, you know, you, and we're not trying to make everyone you know, there's, it's multi-faith. It just, it's, it's every, you know, it's, it's more about who we are and how we are and how we live together and hold each other up. So that's happening now. And it's really exciting. So like when, when the people come for the, the meals, they can have access to those resources as well. Is that, is that sort of how the entry level is or? Well, there's online access too, of course. Okay want to log in so what we do is we have greeters when people drive by we've got them people now the cars are in and out of the parking lot because it was backed all the way up to the public to the grocery store down the street we go to large campus so now we've got people in and out um so they can come in safely and then we've got greeters that are handing them resource packets and we update the packets every week um for county assistance you know and it's really just to tell them this is what's out there and we have and, and food food banks and distributions because our little thing is okay. You know, we usually give them a huge box of produce of mm -hmm. produce, and then they get a prepared meal from um, Four Rivers nonprofit. So it's a big barbecue restaurant down here that has a very large food distribution during the out of response. So they've partnered with us. Um, and then, and then different organizations like Planet Smoothie came one week and gave out just smoothies for people as they're driving through. Um, but yeah, so they've got the, they've got the resources to connect with when they come through, if they've not heard of it. And then, 
our online presence has been, you know, working on that marketing rollout just to people who can't make it. And we actually have two locations. Now we were the St. Luke's location and then the Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra, which is more downtown, has started a Friday food distribution. Um, so they do that. So it, it's kind of reaching people if they can't come to St. Luke's because we're a little more, you know, on this side of town, they can go down mm -hmm. downtown musicians, particularly are more on the downtown set. So it, it is helping both, you know, as much areas as we can as well. And the hope is as we build that coalition stronger and stronger, you're not just doing mercy of the moment, you're resourcing mm -hmm. them for long term, but then you're also you're creating an advocacy group. Um, so being able to speak up and speak into our both our local government and our federal government about, you know, when when aid is given, but it's not given to gig contract workers and and things like that. And you're leaving out a whole group of people that are not mm -hmm. being assisted that are actually probably worse off. Um, but it's also being able to 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 do some of the work that we hope to do in the future of of how do, how do you create affordable housing? How do you change the, the, you know, the wages? How do you just do better? Um, and it makes a difference because what happens is you've got corporate people that are also a part of our church that see what we're doing and recognize that and have a heart for it and are hearing that and they're changing some of their business practices and some of mm -hmm. their work. Um, so it's really creating this whole community um, which is what Jesus, if you go back to what you were talking mm -hmm. about, I mean, Jesus went in the back gate. If you listen to Marcus Borg, that whole Palm mm -hmm. Sunday, he went in the mm -hmm. back gate while Absolutely. the Roman Empire was coming in the front gate. Right. And, mm -hmm. and rallying, he, Jesus was rallying all of the people who had been forgotten and were oppressed and in, in a way that was also saying, hey, by the way, go back to our Jewish readings and our prophecies. This is what the prophet said. So this has been God's work all along. And that's, I think that's what we're doing. Um, and sometimes we never have to use the name of God. Mm -hmm. You know? No, it's pretty amazing. Like, I, I think that, I mean, as, as we all know, like from the Pew research, like there's a decline in this nation around Christianity and, and congregations and um, maybe not so much in Orlando, Florida, but um, in, in many parts of the country, um, I guess like I, what I'm thinking about is like, oh my gosh, you guys were so able to adapt for the moment in ways that other contexts were not able to. Um, do you have like a tip or an idea about like how you were able to do that and, and what that might look like long-term for churches? Um, because I think you guys have, risen to the, this moment of like, this is what we were meant to do. This is what churches are meant to do in which I think there's many that have gotten stuck and stale and held captive in some ways. Um, and so do you have a, there's anything that I know this wasn't a part of what Mandy sent okay. you, but <laughs> I'm always looking for Steve? that practical nugget. Steve, you want me to take it? I mean, you can start. I was going to, yeah, you can start. I think part of it is, first of all, you've got to know, first of all, who you are. Like, and, and we, we do our vision strategies through this, this thing called appreciative inquiry, where it's, you, mm -hmm. you discover what your gifts are, you dream about how those gifts match, match the need of the community, and then you design a destiny around it. That's how we do our five-year strategy here at St. Luke's all the time. So these are our core values. This is how we understand what God has called us to, our mission 
And then these are our gifts and, and we're going to work in our gifts and we're not going to try and do what other churches are doing because these are our gifts, which means these gifts have been put together, you know, like in first Corinthians to be this body of Christ in this community and meet the needs in this community. So I think it's finding out those things. Mm. And then as, as something that we heard in a podcast or in a webinar this, this during COVID was to stop trying to be flexible because at some point flexibility, your rubber bands breaks. And so um, this pastor, I can't remember who it was, talked about, it's about fluidity. And so water does not change. It's DNA and it's molecular structure does not change regardless of what container it's in. And so when you know who you are, when you know what your giftedness is and you know what your mission is, no matter what fluid, what container it, it, you have to be put into for whatever's going on, you're able to stay fluid and you're able to adapt and move and, and you're still on track. And, and I think that's part of what we, we have worked on for the last, mm-hmm. I would say 10 or 15 years. And really it's led to this. And then I would say also long-term partnership with your community. Mm-hmm. You can't just be about yourself. Mm-hmm. Steve, what would you add? Yeah, it can't be about yellow cake. Jen has a famous saying <laughs> in on staff. She's like, not yellow cake. Jen, you can unpack that. But it's- yeah, I, we, you can get to the point in church work where you just serve yellow cake every year and you just uh-huh. change the frosting. So like it's the yellow cake of Advent where you do the same thing over and over, but you put strawberry frosting on it or chocolate frosting. But sometimes people need pie or sometimes they want ice cream or sometimes they're gluten intolerant. So, so stop feeding people. Green beans. Yes. And sometimes they want vegetables. Right. You have to stop giving them the saccharin, the same thing with a different wrapper. And I think in the church world, we do that. And then we see someone else that's doing something and we go, okay, let's go buy their cake and try to do their cake. And your people want pie or green beans. Those are that's great imagery points. and symbolism. Oh <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, just to, to bring it on home, like that brings us to Jesus cursing the fig tree, right? Um, Jesus says that um, this fig tree is not doing what it's supposed to do anymore. And it's yellow cake. The fig tree is yellow cake. Um, That's what our ritual should have been. It should have been around cake. I know. Um, That is going to be the title of my book. (laughs) (laughs) But, but if we, if we just keep serving the yellow cake, we stop seeing the fruit right? You, you had to be able to pivot and adapt over the course of the last 10 years as you were building this theater ministry and it set you up to be able to do what you were doing right now. Had you been doing Godspell every summer um, because it's, that's what people want to see from the church, you would not have been building those community relationships. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have people who were involved. Like, you know, you wouldn't have professional um, artists who were able to make those connections with you, right? Um, but because you were constantly producing, like keeping that tree watered, making sure that it was producing fruit, you were set up to be in a place where you could really, um, you could harvest those fruits, right? Um, also, it's, you to cut off the dead leaves sometimes, right? Like even when you you think you have your tree. Right. Sometimes you have to prune it and you have to let it die. You have to let mm-hmm. it 
Even right. Stuff, we had to learn and be like, this isn't, this part's not working. Right. This right. part isn't actually us. Right. I think that piece of knowing who you are and that, that I, analogy of being like water um, and not, not being changed, I think is so, so important. I want to make sure that they touch on their upcoming show real quick. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Steve. You want to talk about it or me? Look how proud he is. Oh my gosh. I wish <laughs> I how so proud Jen. he is. It's not me. I'm proud of Jen. This girl. So, yeah. yeah, you start. So it started with we do again every year, every time there's some kind of election or something going on in our culture, we want to speak to it and and how people rise above all the 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 tension and the divide and 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 rise to a higher we call it you know that kingdom living that that kingdom values those kinds of things and speak about it differently and so we were going to originally be in October doing 1776 and to take that musical and to do it in a way that led to conversations about um, our founding fathers and you know who we are today and what is it that we need to kind of relearn and 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 understand together in community dialogues of course that got changed. and also the lens we wanted to do that was through kind of being a representative yeah retelling of of that show so it would be an inclusive casting of males females um black everything from gender to race to you name it, I wanted to be representative of what our Congress is today to see through that lens and experience the founding story through that, what it looked like, you know, what it would look like now, wiping away any sort of kind of stereotypes with that. So yeah, what would it mean to really actually become what, what, what was envisioned? And we still haven't, um, as Mandy and I have been in conversation, we haven't been birthed, we haven't birthed it yet. We're still in transition. Um, that right, because the big happen. problem with 1776 is that's a whole bunch of white dudes. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, and no one wants to watch that anymore. Thank nope. you. <laughs> and so that didn't happen. So we had to pivot. We had to be fluid. Um, and so we created something on our own. So Steve, you want to talk about it? Sure. So it's kind of a little more in line of film. What we're doing is creating a story. We hired some St. Lucas who are professional theater folk and industry folk. Um, and we started with some committees just to, for hearing and listening and talking about topical things and, and what we need to respond to right now in coming up and what all that noise is we need to rise above and, and what we're called to, called to live like through and how to respond with that noise. Um, so what we did is, is wrote an original story. Do you want me to just kind of give the quick synopsis of, of it that we're gonna yes. air? Okay, we're gonna air it once a week throughout the month of October. And uh, I'll tell you what the story is and then I'll tell you how we're, Jen can talk about how we're gonna respond to the story in the same event. So it'll be like an hour long event every week. The first half, half an hour will be the actual, the, um, the content, the film, you know, the, the episode. And then there's another part of it that's attached. But the episode, the story is basically a girl and her mom local to central Florida. It's very central Florida like, um, a mirror to what's happening right now in our culture, in our world, and in our in the in the churches, you know, families that we see as well, and then people that aren't in the church. And this this eighteen year old girl who doesn't, she's apathetic. She's like, why am I going to vote? This look at this, it's a mess. It's ridiculous. All the noise she's talking about, you know. And her mother is um, very much like, no, you're voting. It's your first vote, and I need you to understand some things. So she tasks her with driving for her 
ride to vote group where she picks up different folks from the community and drives them to the polls. So this girl throughout these four episodes meets four or five characters and picks them up and takes them to the polls. And of course, Ava, the girl has a chip on her shoulder about it at first. And through her experience- um, I have an 18 year old. <laughs> going on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's based on my life. <laughs> so, does, yeah, yeah. so she's like, that's crazy. So through that, those experiences, it's really um, transforming the girl um, to think a little broader and outside of her own scope, which is hard. You even, you know, as open as this girl is, she's still, there's some things that we all have, you know, we right? all have walls up to break down. So she, she meets a ho- the first person she picks up is a homeless woman, mother that's living out of a hotel. Um, and her sister has to raise her children and you learn about that story. And then second one, I think she picks up is a young, um, pretty successful black man. Um, and she's learning about kind of the local black struggle right now. What's happened. It's not local, it's national, let's be real. Um, but it's worldwide, but so she's learning about that story and, and a bit of a different lens and, and de- developing a deeper, a, a really a true friendship from that. And, and going to these neighborhoods as well as she's driving, right? And, and just, it's a physical learning as well. Um, and then she meets a, uh, she picks up a Vietnam vet and uh, he d- disabled who can't walk. So she, that's, she has to, you know, help him into the, the, into the, into her car that she's driving and, um, and also has to break down some preconceived notions what she's approaching and, and, and how she labels folks, you know, and dealing with patriotism and stuff like that, challenging her that way. And then her last one is she picks up a, um, a Latina school teacher who, who happens to be LGBTQ and she learns a lot about that story as well. And they go to have coffee at a coffee shop because she picks her up outside of the shop. After she drops them all off, she, she ends up parking the car and has a change of heart, and we see her run into the. I mean, I'm telling the ending. Should I not do that? No, don't. <laughs> don't tell the ending. Don't tell. So she ends up running to the polls um, and decides to vote. Are you and, telling us the ending? Uh, <laughs> don't tell. Well, I won't tell you what actually happens. Oh, it's so sweet. The, the ending we, is. You have to watch it. I know. You okay, have to watch it. I know. I can tell you what to tell us, but don't tell us. And we I, I just pulled the staff yesterday and it was it went over really well. So I was uh, like ready to tell. Okay. So watch, please watch it. It's gonna be Thursdays. Jen, which Thursday? This tomorrow night is our so preview. T- yeah. Tomorrow night's a preview. Um, and it's actually we're gonna talk to the writers and Steve and talk about our theater. And then after each episode throughout the month, to whatever it is we've highlighted, we're gonna talk about the Central Florida facts. So this week will be a preview, but we're going to talk about, um, we have the supervisor of elections who's going to be with us and the president of the um, League of Women Voters and talking mm. to us about just the logistics of how to vote, not who to vote for. We're going to be bipartisan and nonpartisan in this as much as possible, um, but how to vote, what is the you know discrepancies of differences of understanding how to get your mail-in ballot and what to do and all of that. And then we'll show a little teaser, which we've actually given to you, so you can show um, when this airs. Um, and then the next weeks, we will have panel discussions that will happen right afterwards with local experts. And um, so we're going to be talking about homelessness, and we have um, going to be giving information about um, our own Central Florida area and what people are struggling with. Um, we have um, 
people who are going to be talking about the racial history of Orlando um, and what is how do we strengthen our black communities. Um, we're going to be talking to different people from the veteran administration, as well as some veterans and what they're going through um, in Central Florida today. And then finally, we have some um, representatives from um, a migrant worker farm up in Apopka, because um, we'll be talking about immigration, it's having some congressional representatives that are going to speak on that last one and talk about how you move from an individual one voice, the power of one, which is what this is called, to the power of one person can make for a whole community and for their neighbors. So we're That's excited. So great. Yeah. It so for is super, super, duper great. Um, to yeah. us, this is going to air on Sunday, October 4th. So it will be after um, your preview. We're recording on Wednesday. Um, but it'll be after you record your, um, your preview on Thursday. But um, they, uh, we will have access to all of the ways you can get connected to the power of one from St. Luke's on our website at www.blackforestcommunitychurch.com and also on our Facebook page for this podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building. So you should like us and follow us on Facebook, everybody who's listening, so that you can participate in this um, super cool, amazing thing with St. Luke's. And it sounds like even, um, I mean, obviously the theater aspect of this is going to be really relevant to everyone nationwide. But even though I love how you're connecting into your community in Central Florida, but I'm really interested because I'm sure mm -hmm. that much of that um, translates into Southern Colorado or New York City or wherever you may be listening to, I am sure that those conversations that you'll be have, having about your particular community are the same conversations we need to be having right here. Absolutely. Um, it sort of reminds me of one little um, uh, phrase that Drew Hart uses, and it is the idea of um, not being partisan, but being political. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love how you have done all of that. Um, also, um, just quickly, I want to remind those that are listening to run and get your piece of fruit um, for our ritual at the end of the podcast. This is just your reminder. And it also reminds me really quickly um, of this sort of provocative phrase that um, came to me this week from a member of our church, Cindy Halsey. I want to do a shout out to her um, around weaponizing empathy. And I think that Jen and Steve and um, St. Luke's has um, adapted to sort of the culture wars that we are up against in this moment, the war of COVID-19, um, the sort of the fights and the war around the election. Um, and they have deeply um, integrated this idea of empathy for all people. Um, this phrase was um, in a recent podcast and article in Time Magazine by the celebrity chef, um, Jose Andreas from Spain, who uh, just became a citizen of this country in 2013, but does these stand up kitchens. Um, he uh, normally does it like when there's a natural disaster, he'll go to that specific town and stand up these kitchens. But in the midst of COVID, he has actually gone to low income neighborhoods, random low income neighborhoods and done this work of just simply feeding people. And his whole thing is, is that we cannot get through this time without empathy. So, um, 
weaponizing empathy is something I want our listeners and our viewers to kind of hold on to this week um, as we as we move into uh, uh, dealing with and doing church and adapting and pivoting in the time of COVID. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This has been so great. Thanks for having us. It has been awesome. I'm super excited to have heard your story and I'm totally going to spread the news of your church down there. It's awesome. (laughs) Super awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. It was really fun. Peace. Jesus was definitely into theater. He wanted people to feel things, to see things more clearly, to consider things more carefully. And most of all, I think he wanted us to connect with each other. But after the parade through Jerusalem, the gang kind of finds themselves resting before Jesus' next big entrance, his next big show. And there, Jesus uses the image of a fig tree that we heard about in our scripture text at the beginning of our conversation. On page 67, Dr. Hart reflects, like the fig tree that was not producing fruit, the temple and its representatives are not producing true fruit. The temple, or for us, society, empire, culture, even the church as we know it, might not be producing true fruit. It has lost its holy vocation. So at this time, I want you to gather the fruit that you got perhaps earlier in the episode or pause and go get your fruit now. Um, And we are going to do a fruit communion. Jesus said the fig tree was not bearing fruits. But as we close today, I want you to enjoy some sustenance in the form of a fruit communion and be reminded of the fruits of your labor or rather what you might witness this week around weaponizing empathy. Amen. Amen. Next week, special guests Mike Martin and Shane Claiborne Join Marta and Mandy to discuss chapter two of Who Will Be a Witness, Liberating Barabbas and the Things That Make for Peace. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ, and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you. 